Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. All right, DC Local Leaders, we're back with another episode. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and today we're going to be chatting with Heather Combs, the CCO of Three Pillar Global. I'm really excited about this episode. I had a fantastic chat with her. She's a great storyteller and just shares openly about leaning into fear, both professionally on the monkey bars as opposed to the corporate ladder, or just continuing to pivot in her personal life and try new things, do new things, because you never know what it's actually preparing you for and what the message is going to be. So great mentor to other women around her. She's been mentored and continues to grow. She's got aspirations beyond where she is now. She just continues to work on that skill set, and she shares all of that with us today. Also want to tell everyone that we've got some exciting news coming up here. We are partnered. DC Local Leaders is now partnered up with Northern Virginia Technology Council. And we are going to be hosting a series of talks with NVTC called Talk Tech. And we're going to be talking some tech. It's exactly what it sounds like. Every month, we're going to have a new episode where we talk to the business and innovation and technology leaders right here in the greater Washington, D.C. area. So for more information on that, please check out Northern Virginia Tech Council's website, nvtc.org. That's nvtc.org. Or you can find them on Twitter at Nova Tech Council. Thank you so much to everyone who has subscribed, rated, reviewed. Check us out on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify and Apple, and even Notecast. If you're unfamiliar with Notecast, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a podcast listening app that allows you to take notes right from the app. As you're listening to Heather today, if she mentions something that you want to make sure that you remember, simply tap the screen where it says transcribed. It will make an audio note for you as well as transcribed an actual copy of the notes. It can be emailed to you or you can store it in your phone. You can also go back to the clip and just listen to it in audio form. Whatever you choose to do, Notecast has you covered. It's a veteran-owned technology company, so check them out today. And let's get into the episode. All right. Well, we're here with Heather, Heather Combs of Three Pillar Global, uh, recently named Chief Commercial Officer, uh, former COO. And uh, what's the difference between those two? You know, um, great question. In my day-to-day life, not a whole lot because of the evolution of how we got here. So I've been in Three Pillar for four years and I started as the chief. Well, I started as a consultant to the business and I could talk about how, how that wound up happening if you want. Um, and then um, I was the chief revenue officer for the last three years. Well, the first, I guess, two years. And then when the company recapitalized with CIP and we were going into a new structure and with sort of new goals, I moved to the COO um, position to really work on the operational side of the business to make sure that we had the foundation of the house to um, do these acquisitions, to be able to integrate them, to be able to grow at scale. And then... Across the course of the year, we had um, we were unable to hire um, the right commercial leader 
And we realized that by dividing out the operational shared services aspects of commercial enablement and commercial operations from our P&L owners, the people who really run our verticals and the business, we had created silos that we didn't intend to create. And so in that absence of the right other leader, we'd pulled them back together with me doing that. And um, we found that the, that just really worked, that the efficiency was better, that the team had better alignment, that we were clearer on what our goals were going forward and decided that that's what we, the plan we would stick with for 2021 now. And so updated the title accordingly because um, and COO implies so much about the internal aspects of the business. And I think um, chief commercial officer really tells the truth of the story that I'm market facing, you know, looking out at how we're growing both organically and then how do we integrate these new businesses into our business model and growth plan and how do we take really good care of the clients that that came with those acquisitions so you but you started as a consultant you said i did um i was with ceb now gartner um for over uh, a dozen years and when i left that business for the the five years that followed, um, I really went through other organizations helping them do something along the growth path. Um, Revenue acceleration, whether that was entering a new market, whether that was changing a pricing structure, whether that was um, launching a new product, um, doing things that help those businesses grow. And sometimes I was a 1099 and sometimes I was a W2, but I think in general, think of that phase as consulting. And by the time that um, I came to help Three Pillar, I was definitely running this little consulting business. I was working for multiple companies and loved it. I was able to help propose solutions and then was not responsible for operationalizing them or their results, you know, which is a great job, yeah. right? You give people advice and you don't have to be right. Um, you know, you get, to, you, you get to, to go. And when I came over to, and was doing that with Three Pillar after a couple of months, I just was in love with the culture yeah. of the business. And when they asked if I wanted to say, I was like, yes, yes, keep me. This is a great place. And so I've now been back in-house full-time for a little over four years. Uh, Three Pillar Global Everything about you guys just seems so attractive. All everything I, I read about what you're doing and and the things you've done, it's always mentioning the word mindset, and it's all about leadership and growth. And in fact, I walked in today. Someone I don't I don't know who that was, but she was sitting on a chair, was having a conversation on the phone. She acknowledged that I was here, didn't know what I was here for, didn't care. She was going to speak to me and acknowledge that I walked in the door, and then also uh, went back to having her conversation. And what were they talking about? Leadership. <laughs> And explaining what that is. And I can tell that it was a client-facing conversation, preparing something for a client, and they were sparring with each other maybe or something like that. It's very true um, that we live this uh, alternative culture here. Um, The company has a strong presence of its founder, CEO, David DeWolf, and he is um, a young guy who's uh, been in the community for a long time, who's come up through the software space, who's built the company you know, one day at a time and has done it while having eight kids. And so this place, you know, it is not an unusual day um, pre-COVID, of course, to walk into the office and someone to have one of their kids with them on the way to the dentist or for someone to take a call from the baseball field or for someone to say, excuse me, I've got to step out for a parent-teacher conference. And that environment makes it so easy to blend our whole selves into the Mm. job. So it is okay that I am also a mom 
that I am also a sister, that I am also a friend, that I have other interests and responsibilities, and that on any given day, all of us can bring all of that with us, and, and that it's not so siloed and separated as it once was. As part of your company culture, I think one team is a big part of that, right? Huge. So one team is our, you know, what you'll hear people say around here is not just a hashtag. It's the mentality that we're all in it together and that we do more together. So the purpose of the company, if you if you asked David, it would be this awesome story about his middle school years um, on a basketball team and how he realized, you know, this desire to belong and this desire to accomplish more as a team. And so now the purpose behind the business, his why, is to give people the opportunity to operate at a higher level of success by being part of a team. And so whether that's our delivery team, so just like truly the developers that build products for other companies, or whether we mean that on our leadership team about how do you put a global operating business together? We really mean one team. How do you do it together? Yeah, you guys just recently did um, a company-wide event with all 1,600 employees, and you did it, and that's a global employees, and everyone participated. That's true. That was our first one. We pulled pulled it off. I obviously was sad that we had to pull it off from um, a recording studio uh, here in Virginia rather than um, at some awesome live location where we had a number of people together. But um, we we had great employees who some got up very, very early. Some were staying up really late. Um, thank you to our teammates in India who, you know, they're, I'm sure their families were like, hey, it's 10 o'clock. Why are we listening to this? Um, but we all got online together. We had a DJ kick us off and we um, talked about our vision um, for the next three years because, you know, we're on this this rocket ship of growth and and then really talk to how how does that look in 2021 and what's our goal and just really motivated and and excited us all to to get that one team mentality and and now the one team is 1600 people and and by the end of the year it'll be a whole lot bigger than that yeah you know the one team thing is you guys also share a a mindset or you put out a mindset of of a product mindset i've heard that a lot Mm -hmm. i've seen that a lot um product mindset for us is it's our secret sauce it's how we build digital software. That said, it's really a take off of the growth mindset thinking in that um, software is never done. Um, Growth is never done. Mm -hmm. That you're going to continuously iterate and evolve both yourself and your your software to meet ever-changing needs of the market, of the customer, of the user interface, of every aspect of it. And so the product mindset is really talking about think differently used to be that you would build something um, from a digital standpoint by putting out an RFP. It had the exact specifications. It it said exactly what features you're going to have and how much it had to come in, in under and in the budget and what timeline. But the product mindset is completely opposite that. It is, let's get started small and let's do this one sprint at a time. Let's put an MVP out there. Let's make sure that we get um, into a self-funding pattern. So you get Um, users using it and buyers buying it and then we iterate and we move and we grow and we evolve and we get better and this is what we do for every one of our customers so we are all professional services we don't build anything for ourselves we build it for the companies you know and love okay so if you recently you know parked at a uh you know park mobile pay station that's something that we help build if you watched, uh, you know, or have kids that have watched PBS Kids, um, you know, Curious George in my house was popular for a long time or played with any of their um, apps on an iPad, that's us. Okay. If you um, 
if you have uh, used the mobile site to like Geico car insurance. Oh. That's the kind of thing that we build. And you and you build the app, you build the interface. Like when you say that you you help, like what do you guys? All of I'm trying it. Trying to get an idea of what you guys do. Right. <laughs> well, digital product goes so much deeper than just the interface that you and I touch through the app. That's the um, the user experience aspect of it and that is one part and then a super important part especially you and me as the, co- yeah. the consumer but it's all of the software and code behind it that makes things work the way they do um, so when you think about something like park mobile you know that it is combining the inventory of available parking spots to the e-commerce interface to the saving the credit card passing it along setting the timer remembering your car you know, putting your geolocation in all of those aspects of software that make it work is what we do. Yeah. So, and then when we, you guys use this, this phrase digital transformation a lot. What does that mean? You know, what a huge term. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel, I feel like one day when the history books write, they're going to talk about the time of digital transformation. Um, and it's going to be this, you know, it's like the industrial revolution. It's going to be this huge term. But really what it means is when you're changing your business model. So think about the Amazon effect as a great example. There was there were brick and mortar stores where you walked into a store that carried physical inventory and you selected in that moment from physical inventory, you purchased it there on site, perhaps even with cash, and you walked out with it in your hand. And think how different that is to today when you buy something probably with your Amazon Prime membership Um, while you scroll through endless inventory that's sourced from all over the world in a single um, application, you hit click to buy. Sometimes if if you're dangerous enough to use click to buy, because sometimes I've gotten things I didn't mean to click to buy with the one click. Um, And and then that is shipped to your home within the timeframe you picked. That could be today same day delivery. That could be two days. That is digital transformation. It's where our digital experience entirely changed what was previously another business model, the physical brick and mortar store. So that's just one example. You can think of all the others that are happening um, for businesses out there. But essentially everything that's on your phone is a digital transformation. Every business that is now doing things that think of a back office system would be something like um, the how expense systems work today where as soon as you run your credit card, it uploads to the the reporting mechanism rather than the, the old school where we used to tape down the receipts on a piece of paper and then right. photocopy them and right. then walk them over stapled mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the actual, you know, finance department. Yeah, no one does that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I recently got some accounting software, finally made it to 2021. Um, welcome, welcome. Yeah, it's, it's great. I love it being here. So I don't then have to go back and do, I'm not doing, I'm not playing bookkeeper for my business also. That's right. And it's because of the software and it's because it's all digital and it allows me to do so. Otherwise, I don't know what I would, I would have to keep them in a shoebox and then somehow scan them in, make a PDF and hope my accountant at the end of the year doesn't, you know, doesn't hate me. Yeah, I think, and I think this, the year of 2020, the biggest leaps forward we saw in the digital transformation space. I mean, think about education, mm-hmm. how we went from, you know, kids who had to get dressed and catch the bus and walk into a physical classroom and be greeted by someone. And they, and then when that couldn't happen, you had a snow day. You actually, you know, didn't physically have school because there was no other way to communicate with the students if they didn't physically walk into that that um, that building. And think about it now. You know, um, they are 
uh, doing it online. They have synchronous days and asynchronous days. And, and when there was snow this week here in the D.C. area, you just go on because yeah. the teachers are teaching from home. And the students are learning, you know, at home. And um, it, the whole thing has changed. Yeah. I mean, there was a time where uh, online school was seen as less than. Uh, in a way, especially like college and things, you went to online college, it was seen as being less than, like you weren't as well educated and it wasn't, uh, you know, and I don't know, maybe I'm putting, maybe I felt that way and no one else did, but I think it was a real thing. I think so too. I think, I think that some of the most interesting things that will come out of the experience of this past year are what did we change in ways like that, that evolved well past our expectations or our, the, the mindset we had around what was possible. I know we were already dabbling in Instacart and you know grocery delivery before because it's a complicated lifestyle. It's just so much easier. But COVID forced that hand. And even my parents, you know, are now getting their groceries delivered. And I never thought I would see the day because, of course, my mom was very much like, you know, I, if I don't pick out the banana, how will they get the one right? right. And, you know, and then you realize, oh, other shoppers are smart also. You know, someone else can also pick the right banana and bring it to my house. But these just leaps forward in our thinking about what's possible. It's, first of all, all the digital transformation, but then also just um, uh, completely expedited by the COVID crisis. I keep seeing statistics, so they're updated every day. You can pick the one to quote, but that have said, um, we have sped up digital technology and digital transformation within five months that it would have taken us seven years otherwise um, is the one that I've has resonated with me and I absolutely seeing what our clients are doing now absolutely believe it yeah and forget clients I mean love them all the things they're doing but when I look at my kids on their school day and how they're doing you know science experiments in the seventh grade now online like everyone has sped up yeah well let's talk about you I mean I we did talk about three pillar we know but I want to talk more about you as an individual and, and how you got here. We got a brief snapshot of doing some consulting, but you got to that point from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get into all that. But you, you've you got you've got five kids. But I do. I have five amazing little girls, a modern blended family. They are such an amazing crew. They are 10, 11, um, twin 12-year-olds and a 16-and-a-half-year-old, as she would remind me. Um, the half. The it's half. important. Yeah, it's, it's important. You know, especially when you're you're halfway to your driver's license. It's right. very, very important. It counts. 15 um, and 9 months is a very special time. <laughs> it is. It is. But I, I never planned to have a big family. It wasn't something I set out to do in life. I, did, I do think I set out to have a big career. Um, I'm from South Texas. Um, I grew up in San Antonio. I, so I'm from a place that not everyone aspired to a career that um, looks like this. Yeah. I have a lot of amazing friends who are um, at home mothers, which I think is, is that job is 10 times harder and I am much less able to do it. Like, let me just say, first of all, I am better at the job I go to during the day than I am at the one at the house. But I, I went to college, uh, finished in three years, went straight on to graduate school in political science um, and economics. I I was at the George Bush School there in Texas. Um, I know Texas you're, A&M, right? Yeah, Texas A&M when they opened the Bush Library. And I thought I would go into politics and I would be president. That, yeah. that was the plan. Um, and then I actually went and worked in politics. Up here in Capitol Hill? Did um, you, is that how you got to this area from Texas? That's exactly right. I came yeah. working for a con- the congressman um, from Humble, Texas at the time. And uh, started working in the office here. 
then of course going back to school in the inaugural class at the Bush School, I got the opportunity to, to work with the Bush family. 41 was uh, the library's namesake, of course, and was there present with the students. There were 17 of us in the inaugural class. And then 43 was the governor of Texas at the time and then ultimately ran for um, office. And several of my classmates came back on you know, the campaign politics or went into the administration. And um, that, by that point, did not interest me at all. Mm. Um, so I spent some time working with um, Barbara Bush's Points of Light Foundation. And I did what so many 90s college grads did. I did the, the consulting network. And I wound up um, saying yes to a company called the Advisory Board. I said yes and, and set a start date for a couple of months in the future. What I did not understand at that time was that um, they were splitting with CEB and CEB was going public. And so just by absolutely sheer luck of the draw, I was assigned to the CEB mm. side into writing research in the HR practice. I mean, on my first day, I peeled the plastic off my desk because they were just opened the new space right. at 1600 Pennsylvania. And that rocket ship took off. I mean, there were 400 of us at the time and by the time I left, there were over 5,000 employees in seven international locations and um, a very big company. And I just got to be there through the evolution. And, and because of it, you know, huge growth like that offers a lot of opportunity. And I got to weave my way through the company doing lots of different jobs that um, set me up to, to be kind of a well-rounded general manager professional coming out of it. Let's talk about like all the lessons you've learned along the way, doing having the responsibilities that you have or had and what that's done to prepare you for where you are now. What do you have with you now that you wouldn't have otherwise had had you not been in that position? I think that the nonprofit space, in, in, in any kind of public service, even the, the positive part of my experience on Capitol Hill would be um, have a purpose, have something greater than than the paycheck that you're yeah. working for. And I think the paycheck is table stakes, right? Because I did talk about you, know, you have to pay rent and you have to pay those school loans back. But you need a why. You need a purpose. You need core values um, to make it all meaningful. And so I think that the nonprofit sector really gets that right. It really yeah. offers to people an opportunity to go um, invest their life and their work and their skills in a cause. So and you learned that lesson before Simon Sinek wrote his book. Indeed. Right? Indeed. Because that was, yeah. So you picked up on that you need a purpose and you need an overall general why. Um, as you navigated through CEB, you know, what, what were some of the things that you know now that had you not had that experience, even if it was tough at the time? You know, what I think about all the, the variety of opportunities at CEB, I think that the, the big one I take away as a lesson is to say yes is to take the job you don't think you're qualified for, mm. to um, move to the department that doesn't feel like the perfect fit, to, um, to stretch yourself in directions that you never saw coming. Just say yes and get there and figure it out as you go. Um, to, to be a high energy, work hard. I mean, it was an incredible place for hardworking, really intelligent ambitious, competitive people. So I was always pushed to be the best version of myself there. But the other opportunity was that you, if you kept following the yes, the doors just kept opening. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I really changed, I mean, account management or sales or new product development or being a practice manager kind of back and forth from the revenue sides of the house, the 
the product side of the house. I spent some time as chief of staff do, learning all of the administrative details that have set me up for today to really understand how a company runs. And I would have never you know, architected a career like that on paper mm-hmm. if someone had asked me, what do you want next and what's the right step? So I like that analogy of yeah. the jungle gym versus the ladder. Think of your career as the jungle gym of moving left and right and up and down and, and over because you're getting this well-rounded experience rather than thinking of it as one step forward up some proverbial ladder that goes to what? So saying yes to to things that you think that you're not qualified for. Did you ever feel vulnerable during that, that time or what did you do with that feeling? I mean, that the feeling of, I said yes to this thing, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I feel that way every day. (laughs) I still feel that way. The company, when we did these two acquisitions this year, um, nearly doubled in size. And so I still wake up in the morning and say, this is the the biggest revenue goal I've ever had in front of me. This is is the biggest team I've ever been responsible for. This is the biggest, you know, um, opportunity um, today and the highest expectations. And so I think... If you're ever comfortable, you're probably not pushing yourself hard mm. enough. I absolutely love the the thinking behind the statement. If people aren't making mistakes, it's because they're not trying hard enough. And so I encourage myself to walk out the door, feel, feel that nervous energy because I know I'm trying um, harder in the space and that those mistakes are exactly the test of, you know, pushing outside your comfort zones. Yeah, we learn from our mistakes and that, you know, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, that sort of thing. And I think that goes back to something you mentioned earlier about growth mindset, right? I mean, that's exactly what growth mindset is. It's not that some people are born to do things really well and some people will just never be able to do it because they weren't born that way. You can learn how to do anything. Right. Um, In Three Pillar, one of our um, values is continuous improvement. And I use it a lot. A lot of times in a lot of meetings, I have to say, okay, (laughs) you know, true to our value of continuous improvement, we're going to get this, you know, right next time or we're going to do better next time, especially with things moving as fast as they are today. When it's growing this fast, um, the, the wheels can feel like they're flying off the car. So you just have to keep putting it all back together and, and working to move forward. Where'd you get that idea of, you know, treating your career and your life like a, jump, a jungle gym or do something that scares you or say yes and have the yes mindset? Did so, do you have a coach or did you have a mentor at the time, a mother, a sister, anyone, a brother, someone in your life to... You know, you know? I think it largely developed along the way about attending women in leadership events or reading women in leadership books or, or being part of that community you hear a lot about this, that you can't be what you can't see or that you are going to struggle because women, I think statistically, will apply for jobs only once they have 100% um, proven that they can do all of the requirements of the job to be done, whereas men will throw their hat in the ring when they only have 70% of it covered. And when you start hearing those kinds of things and then I look at having daughters you ask yourself the question of like, am I part of the problem or the solution? Am I paving the path forward? And the more I would hear those things, the more emboldened I was to be different. So I think about the book Lean In. I know it's had some controversy over the years, but I loved some of the things I, I heard in it about sitting at the table. 
about making sure that you were um, you were heard that when you um, when you were feeling uncomfortable just to to lean into that feeling when you were unsure about where your family career growth um, your family growth was going to intersect with your career growth just continue down the path that's in front of you and and battle that problem for another day you know and so I I have felt passionate about making sure that I'm setting this example um, as I hear more and more of that right to really live it in your everyday life mm-hmm. well let's talk about that personal life because it you know do you you do that in your personal life as well like leaning into fear try something new every year things you're working on as an individual not necessarily professionally whatever that happens to be um, I do this is like the skydiving type thing that, have you, you been know, skydiving I have uh, me too where yeah. where'd you go I went uh, just out in outside of uh the D.C. area yeah. here. Um, oh, gosh. What's the name of that? Like Warrington, D.C. Skydive, yes. but it's yes. actually in Warrington, which That's is kind of right. weird, but it, I get it. Uh-huh. Where else are you going to jump out? That's exactly right. What yeah. was it? What was the experience like? Talk- I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. I, I immediately wanted to do it again because I wanted to have the experience of knowing what was coming so that I could be more present in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because in the moment, of course, I screamed for, you know, 20 full seconds on the free fall. And because you don't know what's coming and you have to experience it all that time. And so I'd like to go do it when I know it's coming and then I can like enjoy the ride a little bit. Yeah. Um, I love that place. I've gone a couple different times uh, and I had a similar experience. It's, it's all the buildup of what's about to happen and the fear of the future, anticipating what I think is going to happen and only to find out that the experience is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. Two things I noticed. The plane they take you up in is this rickety old plane that you kind of <laughs> want to so jump true. out of. Yeah. This janky machine, like, I, I'm taking my chances with the parachute. Like, this isn't, there's duct tape on the door. What are we doing? You know, so it's <laughs> so like, true. and and then they tell you to kind of just hang your feet over the edge. Put There's like a bar that you have to put your feet on that you can't see. So already, you're you're experiencing something. You can't see it. You have to trust that it's there, trusting the process. And then it's like, you know, okay, but I'm unsure what this is going to feel like. I'm expecting a whole bunch of roller coaster ride Gs when I when I jump out of this plane. I feel none of those things, right? And I'm expecting it to be really, really loud with the wind blowing in my ear because you're falling really fast because I weigh a lot and this dude weighs a lot and we're both falling together because I'm strapped in the middle of him. But And it's none of those things. And I learned that, like, you know, I don't always know what I'm up to. Maybe I don't know how scary this future is going to be because I made it all up in my head. Um, the fear of kicked in when we pulled the shoot. Disappointment and fear. We pulled the shoot. Disappointment because it was over. Mm-hmm. And then fear of like, this is when something's going to go wrong. <laughs> Some bird's going to come along. Like, we need to get down. Like, what are we doing just floating around? Come on. You know, that sort of. And then that was the selfishness of I know better. This guy, you know, this person here jumps out of planes every day because that's what he does. Then here I am coaching him on what we need to do. And all I need to do is just relax and we're going to be okay. And guess what? We were on the ground and everything was fine. Yeah, I I had that same experience about once he pulled the chute of feeling a little disappointed that we're halfway due yeah. to through the experience that you had the free fall and now you're going to do this. Now, luckily, the person I was strapped to, luckily or unluckily, decided that this was a fun day to really, it was a birthday present, first of all. So and so he knows that it's I'm there for my birthday and he starts doing like loops and flips and like really his acrobatic skills, which is a blast on the video in hindsight. But um, it certainly made me very dizzy. It took a solid hour to get my like equilibrium back once I was on the ground. Um, But I felt I felt a sense of disappointment that the whole thing was over when it was over, because it's like you'll never not know again and you'll never have that moment where 
that you were falling first out of the plane. I will say I, I have stood by this. I don't know if I've got it in me to be the person who could jump. I do think that being tethered to someone else that jumped, yeah. where then you, you have no choice, but you're going with that he person, going anyway. right, is, was really the way to do it. Because I, I look now at people, I've never bungee jumped, but like I look at those people and I think you actually had the ability to step off a ledge. Yeah. Something really, I'm, I'm so happy you brought this up. Something really does happen, I think, to an individual when they're put in that position. And that's a leisure thing. We chose to do this. Like we could have just not done, like... Mm-hmm. We paid money. We paid them to do this. Yeah. And uh, signed forum after forum that said, if I die, you're not yeah, responsible. Yeah, it's kind of like choice. I did yeah. this to myself mm-hmm. and, you know, I, it's my own fault. But when you do have to be the one that jumps off and does it anyway, even though it's terrifying, even though it's scary, even though everything about this says it's a horrible idea, it's given me a new relationship with fear in a little bit of a way. Do you, do you feel the same way? Yes. I think about, so for a little while I did triathlons. And that sounds so much bigger than it is. So like, then that's the entire point is that somewhere in your head, this is a really, really hard, maybe impossible athletic. I was in Charleston when I started them. I grew up uh, a swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer through high school and picked up biking once I came to DC. Love it. It's still my favorite of the sports. And then I hobble along in something that other people would call running. It is not. And so the way that I compete is that I, I go out for the swim. I usually finish in the heat ahead of me um, with the swim because that's other people's weaker um, event. And then I hold my own in the, in the cycling portion. I love to cycle. I'm out there, whatever pack I'm in. And then during the phase that everyone else calls running, I just wave to people and cheer them on because they're all passing me and, right. and they're, they're, um, age is written on their calf um so you see the people that pass you and i have been passed by seven-year-olds and 78 year olds like it's very embarrassing but i just always like encourage them you know you go there's pancakes at the end like i'll be there in a few minutes you know i just kind of like holler and stuff but when i was training for the first triathlon i had gotten into this group in south carolina that i was training with and they were all registering for for their event and people were encouraging me to do it. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I can't do it. I can't do it. And this, the, the coach of the team finally said something to me that made absolute sense. has stuck with me forever. She goes, what's the worst thing that happens? And I stood there for a long time like, what is the worst thing that happens? And she's like, no, no, really. Try to come up with what's the worst thing that happens. And then I was like, well, that I can't do the run. That I'll have to walk. And she goes, that's the worst thing you can possibly think of happening? You're, you're going to have to walk? And I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's do this. Yeah. And sure enough, I've, I've definitely had my break moments in triathlons where I've walked it, since then. And the this great attitude, though, sets in of like now to remind yourself, like to ask this question when you're about to do something you're so afraid to do for the first time. Like, what's the worst thing that happens? I love that. And I have found that if you ask yourself and then you just step out there, you find in almost all these cases, whether it's a triathlon or jumping out of the plane or whatever it is, is that at the other side of it, you look backwards and you're like, that was not near what I made it out to be in my head. It's the narrative we're carrying. Yes. We are convinced it's all harder, bigger, scarier. When I, the first time I came up to Capitol Hill, I thought that working, um, you know, for the congressman going into the building, like thought this is going to be this unbelievable job. You know, it's bigger, different, more important than all these other jobs. Of course, of course, I thought that I was, you know, 22 or something. 
But after a few months, when you're opening the mail and you're running errands and you're getting coffee and you're standing in line at the at the cafeteria eating terrible food, you realize it's just a job. And those are just people that are in those jobs. And that's been my experience in, in all of life is we make it all out to be something in our head that once you do, it's not near as difficult. And I would tell other younger women, um, especially who are nervous about taking a job that they're scared about or that they've made out to be bigger in their head is this is where it get to yes, because yeah. it looks scarier than it is. Is that how you kind of mentor other women in your life and, and other people around you um, by sharing those experiences? And do you have, uh, are you part of a group? Do you do any of that? Or? I do. In several of the organizations I work in, I do um, the mentor program and I have um, a few folks who've asked me over time formally to, to be mentors. So I have, I have a group of mentees and I love them and I learn as much from them as hopefully I give back and I think that it's great at keeping me sort of grounded and young and energetic and I hope for them they it gives them them something but I think when I talk to to those women it's always about encouraging them to do things like that throw your hat in the ring um, say yes lean in ask for the promotion the raise the opportunity the the project um, ex- extend yourself Right. Those are the kinds of um, messages for sure. And what's the worst that could happen? You what's know, the worst that happens? They're not going to kill you. You know, they may say no, but that's not all that bad. Um, uh, right. And and if you do go and do it and it's big and it's hard, it'll be amazing. Right. A lot of the transformation and mindset that I've had has come from a lot of pain. I wish I was like you where I just had some sort of internal bellwether that was like ringing for me and I knew that I could lean in and, and do certain things. Or, you know, you got it from a number of different places. Um, but a lot of it has been physical activity too. There seems to be a, a, some sort of connection between psychology and physiology. And there's a lot of people that talk about mm-hmm. that. Tony Robbins talks about that. Doing this uh, thing called 40 races before age 40. Oh. And I was talking to another person. He was like, what if you only get 37? Like what, I mean, you know, last year was a dead year, right? Yeah. He's like, what does that mean? You know, and it's for me, I carry a narrative with me that it somehow means I'm bad or not good enough mm-hmm. or incapable or something like that. Doesn't mean anything because no one knows I'm doing this but me. Have you read um, Dan Pink's book, Win? And I'll, uh, W-H-E-N, Win, because I know my Texas folks oh, will understand. Oh, I thought you were saying win, like win the game. And I was thinking, oh, she wants me to win the race. I know. Yeah. Everyone says that. Um, I've got to learn to pronounce it the way you East Coast folks do. But it's all about the science of timing. And it talks exactly about the concept that you're you're going through about like why do we set these milestones at the edges of decades or why do we start diets on the first of the year mm-hmm. or um, why do we have these like rounded number of goals of like what is the difference between the 37 races and 40 races? Why do, why do we feel more accomplished if it's 40? So you should absolutely read that yeah. one. It is You will also walk away with a few very important life lessons. Like don't take the surgery slot. That's not first thing in the morning, period. <laughs> like just really important life right. lessons that, yeah. that are like the, the failure rates in surgery, the mistake rates like just increase across the day, essentially. And so yeah. like never take like the three o'clock surgery. With that Dr. Sharp. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's similar to uh, we talked about Simon Sinek and his book, uh, starting with why he's also got one called um, it's called uh, it, The Infinite Game. Mm-hmm. I just uh, read it over Christmas. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's based on a book from a theologian who wrote Finite and Infinite Games, and it's all about the same thing. Mm-hmm. These we, We're playing these fictitious, when the, the object is to just stay in the game, just keep doing the thing. But I was what I was telling you about all of that is that there's some, st- doing these things that are pretty difficult, or usually it's centered around physical activity. I've, I've talked to some other leaders, and they do triathlons, and a lot of it, 
maybe it's character building. Maybe it's just like doing something difficult or being able to, to train for a triathlon. You have to show up every day and do something consistently. And that seems to affect leaders in a, in a huge way. Because in your personal life, that has nothing to do with Three Pillar. You're not doing it on behalf of Three Pillar. No, no. And in fact, I'm not doing them at all right now because I have five kids and a job. Um, But I do think that for me, it's about goal setting. It's, it gives me a chance, another outlet to pick something that I want to aim towards that doesn't hurt anyone else and only benefits me if I get closer. So I don't, imagine that I'm ever going to be the fastest at anything. So rather than deciding I'm going to be the fastest runner in the world and working on that, it's this well-rounded concept of, well, I'm going to try these new things. I'm going to go at this from a, can I do it standpoint? Can I set a goal and can I accomplish it? And I think that is just analogous to how I run most of my life and probably how I keep finding myself back in a, a revenue leadership position because I love a good goal. How do you set your goals? Do you write them down? Do you have a vision board? Like I do meditate. I use the um, the Calm app. <laughs> so so speaking of that, I do meditate. I do try to, to stay grounded um, in this like goal setting to not let it become con- consuming of my whole personality, of my whole being because if you do that, then when you miss one of these goals, the deflation is terrible. You know, you, you so you got to keep it in perspective. I do think I'm, I very much have like a can-do attitude. I, I would put myself in the camp of realist over optimist. So, I mean, I think working in a public company for, you know, 12 years or 13 years will do that to you because you have to ba- walk that balance of like never overshooting. You got to, you got to be right. But um, I, and, and I'm not a journaler, um, for mostly the purposes of time and but I I listen to the continuous like audiobooks and I read and I digest everything I can and I'm always taking classes and I go to the conferences and I'm I just really have an expansive mindset of like can what can I learn what can I do better what can I be coachable on how can I make that next opportunity work out. And so goal setting just fits in perfectly there is that you, you really, you've learned something new and you decide you want to be better at it. And so you start practicing yeah. and you do the work. Yeah. And do you start seeking out people that can help you get there and absolutely and mentors and trying to find those? Do you have mentors in your life now? Yeah. I, I do. Um, I, I certainly do. And they come from all walks of life. So there are the job type mentors and then there are, um, other women that I look up to for like they're fan- fantastic in their families and there are um there are friends who really have some aspect of their life nailed that I I want to be more like um you know right now um this year's made me cook more than ever and so I envy it and idolize the women who cook so well and, and there's a yeah. woman on my team who um you know, keeps this master board of what she's going to cook and how she grocery shops and then like how she organizes the week and I just find myself like trying to absorb and learn even a skill like that just you know it's it's easy to think oh this is my mentor so that's going to be the one person that teaches me everything to do and that's just not that's just not true yeah I mean it's like having more than one doctor I have a dentist for my teeth and then I've got a physical therapist for the other stuff and you know uh, that's a good way to see it I think that you need lots of perspectives and at different times you really need different specialists who can help yeah and it sounds like that gives you a great opportunity to turn around and, and pass that on to other people um, as a mentor for them, uh, too. So speaking of mentors and advice, I mean, you're you're in a very visible position of high responsibility. What advice can you give someone who 
um, is maybe technical in their experience. Maybe they're a, a PMP or they're a UX designer. They're a so- they're very technical, mm-hmm. but they hear you speak. They 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 spend time around you. They want to aspire to do something uh, that you're doing. I actually think the answer is the same regardless of which lens you come at it from. Is that whenever you see a deficit in any aspect of your skill set or the the capabilities you want to have in order to um, really fit for that next opportunity in any direction. I say, go do the work, go get the experience, um, go, um, go to the class, go to the conference, go meet the person, go read the book, um, go practice, go volunteer into the opportunity at your own business or in a volunteer position and put the work in. And so if in that case of what you're saying, if, if you've got highly technical skills, but you haven't ever led, um, go coach a little league team, um, go, um, volunteer at your, um, local, you know, big brothers, big sisters program and start being a leader there. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are on the opposite, you've done a bunch of those things. But for me, for example, um, when I first started working in new product development at, at CEB, I, I did not have the skills to read a company balance sheet at the level that I needed to be able to when we were evaluating acquisitions and partnerships. And so that's when I headed back to the booth school and really um, did my financial um, acumen classes and was able to jump forward in those skills because I needed them to be at the table and credible and to really understand what was happening at the next level. And, and so it's do, do the work, um, find the, the path forward. And there are lots of ways to creatively get there. Inside your company, what I promise is that there will always be someone who will take you um, volunteering yourself into a project or um, more work. So so just say, this is a skill I want to learn. And I bet you someone around you will say, I got a place that you can benefit me and learn that skill. Was there ever a time where you felt like you were at uh, a jumping off point? This is, you're uncertain of what to do next, but you know, you can't keep doing what you're doing. You have to go all the way back to my CEB days for some number of years. I was doing, um, full-time sales. I mean, in the old school style, wear a black suit, get on a plane, crack up your frequent flyer miles and get off that plane, gets in a Hertz rental car, which by the way, we're all, you know, like champagne colored Mazda 626s at the time. Like it was just like same sedan everywhere you went. And to do that day in and day out, I four out of five days a week and sometimes as many as eight cities to do that. And so you're just living in a plane and living in these rental cars and living in these hotels. And it's just all become a blur. You have forgotten to enjoy it. You're eating the, you know, the same club sandwich off of the room service menu at every Starwood, you know, hotel, and it doesn't matter anymore. And I had my day where I'm going through the airport and my flight gets canceled again because you know, that's how they work. And I just had a complete meltdown of, I can't do it. And I called um, the the office and said, I'm done. But luckily they heard it as I'm off the road. I'm done. I But I really hit this breaking point, had this absolute meltdown in the airport because I had just gone into that place where you're going too hard, too long and forgetting to enjoy the ride. You're forgetting the like amazing moments that when you're flying to another city or another country they just like stop be there find the amazing part of those moments and just I think you said earlier at one point like don't think of it as the grind 
And I had gotten into that place where it was just the grind and it was just killing my body and soul. So the last question I have for you, what are you working on now? What do you think future Heather's going to look like? Yeah, the things I want to be ready for next. Um, I'd like to um, continue to round out my skills until I'm ready for a CEO position. It's really what my eyes are set on for the next career move. And then um, between now and then, and then hopefully much longer after that, I'd really like to serve other companies on their board of directors. So I have been working the last like year, year and a half or so on board ready. Well, you know, if it's been anything like the rest of it, if you keep saying yes, it'll show up. And, And I really appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're a business leader and have questions on your lease and how it impacts your business's opportunities to grow or have questions about the market, you can reach Philip directly at philip.nathram at transwestern.com. He'd love to speak with you. Until next time.